Have you guys ever felt trapped? Think about that, because I'm going to do a discussion question in a second and get you with two or three people and just to quickly share a uh, moment when you have felt trapped. Okay, but first, one more story. I've shared my fear of bathrooms already with you in a previous sermon, uh, especially Starbucks bathrooms. This is why. I was on a trip to California with my gorgeous wife, who's pregnant. Just thought I'd throw that in there. We're excited. Uh, and, and we were on our way, and I really had to go to the bathroom. Bad. So we stopped at a Starbucks, and I went to the washroom, and I ran to the bathroom, opened up the door, closed the door, and headed to my throne. Uh-oh. Did, did I lock the door? The fear that gripped me at that moment as I realized that in shutting the door and walking, I don't know if you know the Starbucks bathrooms, but they're huge And so I am far between here and probably you from the door. And I'm looking at it going, somebody could come in at any time. I felt trapped. Then something else hit me. Something else hit me as I realized I forgot to check to see if there was toilet paper. And so in an instant, I I turned my head slowly. And yes, there's toilet paper. The lovely people in California believe in environmentally friendly uh, ways, and so they had the air dryers. So there was no paper towel. So if there was no toilet paper, I would have been on my throne for a while. In that moment, I felt trapped. And that's a more silly way. I've I've shared a more kind of anxious way, uh, a real-life situation where I felt trapped. What I want you to do is to take two minutes or three minutes Uh, One minute each in your group and just share a time when you feel trapped. Okay, you have uh, three minutes to do it. And go. All right, let's bring it back. Does anybody want to share quickly uh, a time when they feel trapped, when they felt trapped in the past? When you sign a mortgage for the first time, you feel trapped then. Yeah, Uh, Micah, you had a time when you felt trapped. What's that? I had to walk myself to the bathroom because my brother was on the Oh, maybe he wanted to go to the bathroom. Oh, he, he wanted to hurt you. Okay. Uh, so his brother wanted to hurt him, and so he locked himself in the bathroom. <laughs> Such a brotherly love. <laughs> Any other? One more, maybe? Taking a test. You feel trapped. Okay. Nice. Well, I don't know. Another one that I can think of is uh, darkness. I was at, in Devon, uh, Alberta, living in a farmhouse uh, in the basement, and at night it is absolutely pitch black. You can't see a thing. You know how your eyes adjust sometimes? Well, in this case, no. My eyes could not adjust because there was absolutely no light for my eyes to adjust to. And I, uh, it was my second night there, and you know how when you move to a new place you feel disorientated? Well, I felt disorientated. I have no idea where I was. It was pitch black, and I woke up. I didn't know where the light was, and I just felt this anxious trap entrapment in my heart as I was doing that, as I reorientated myself, remembered that I could follow the wall and hit the light switch for a second and take a deep breath. Um, but we have all, at some, in a minor way or in a major way, felt trapped in some situation. Today we're going to look at a people group who felt trapped. But before we do, 
we need to, to, to look to their past. And in their past, and right before then, they weren't feeling trapped at all. Actually, they were feeling joyous. If we remember by, when Pastor Keith was talking about the ten plagues, how God's provision in their life allowed them to get out of intense uh, persecution and slavery, and they were able to leave uh, their slavers with the slavers' choice clothing, with gold rings and gold necklaces. And, and God was faithful in that way. They had just finished celebrating the Passover. As you know, Pharaoh said, you know, you can go, just go. And they were able to leave. That is an amazing thing just by itself, that God would be, is such a big God that he would be able to do that. And if you haven't had a chance to listen to Patrick Keith's sermon, I encourage you uh, to go online and listen to it. Now, they finish the Passover and they start walking and God does the coolest thing ever. He provides a guide. Do you know what that guide is? Does anybody know? Yes, Micah. Moses, sure, yeah, burning bush, Moses uh, gets a chance to uh, lead his people after doubting himself and all that. And that's, there's some really cool play there as uh, Moses doesn't really want the job to begin with. And God says, no, I'm going to give you the ability to do this. And just as a side note, as a freebie based on what Micah said, uh, if, if you're in a place where you don't think you can measure up, that you don't think God can do great things... This week, I want you to put aside your Bible reading plan from version and instead read through the story of Moses and then tell yourself that you can't do it because Moses had a speech impediment. Moses thought that he couldn't do it and he led the people out of Israel, right? So that's a freebie brought about by Micah. That's a freebie. Uh, there was, so Moses was there, but what led Moses? Yes. Yes, a pillar, a, a cloud by day, and a huge nightlight at night of fire. Biggest nightlight ever. God was having a big old campfire in the sky, roasting God-sized marshmallows and, and leading his people. And it, it was awesome. I would love to be there and to see that because that fire wasn't raining down like in the plagues. It was, it, it was guiding them. That would have increased my faith massively to see that if I was Israel leaving Egypt. So we're going to start reading at this point. And if you have your version Bibles, you can turn to it. If you have the old paper version, you can turn to it too. We are going to start Exodus 13, verse 20. Uh, and we do have the, the brick Bible behind me uh, that you can follow along if uh, you like Lego. Because I like Lego. The Israelites left Sukkoth and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. i got to stop right there. One verse in. If you are anything like me, I am so visual that I, I just, I was like, how, where is this place? Where around Egypt were they going? And so I did some research, and uh, in doing research, I had to do even more research because there's kind of a conflicting view on, on where the actual Exodus route was. And so on the screen, we're going to show you, this is the traditional route uh, of the path 
of the Exodus. And you can see right at the top there, there's that little sea of reeds that they pass through. Uh, and then they go down, and here is Mount Sinai, and then they go back up, and eventually, after numerous years, end up in the Promised Land. Now, that's a, a great picture. The problem is, is that many scholars believe that that cannot actually be the right path because uh, the Sea of Reeds was a swamp, and really to have that water come on the Egyptians and kill them, they would have gotten a nice shower, but they wouldn't have died. And so they say that is not enough mass, and there's some other things that say, you know what, that might not be how it happened. So there's another uh, map here, and it's interesting because Mount Sinai has originally been put here, which was uh, basically put on a map in the 4th century A.D. Now they're thinking that Mount Sinai might be there, and that the Sea of Agaba is the place where they crossed, okay? So I don't know if this is the way. I, I like to think that this is the way because it's a lot more water. And it just makes it that much uh, more visual for me, okay? So they left Ramses. They went to Suko. There's a little bit of diversion in their path. And then they finally ended up at the Sea of Agaba. Does that help you a little bit? Does that help you kind of get into the story and know exactly where they were going? Because it sure helped me as I was doing that. And if you guys want another cool study, do that. Look up. Where, where was the po possible Exodus routes? That's another one. Let's continue with our story. And so they're moving around uh, the desert, and they have a cloud in the day, and they have a massive night light at night. Uh, and let's pick it up, and we're going to turn to uh, Exodus 14, verse 5. Exodus 14, verse 5. It says this, When word reached the king of Egypt that the Israelites had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds. What have we done letting all those Israelite slaves get away? They asked. So Pharaoh harnessed his chariots and called up his troops. He took with him 600 of Egypt's best chariots, along with the rest of the chariots of Egypt, with each with its commanders. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Egypt who had left with fists raised, raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the force in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught, Egyptians caught up to the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Pi-Hahiroth, I think, across from Baal-Zephon. Verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord. That was their first response. <laughs> Love that guy, the one with the face. Uh, that, that's kind of funny. And they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better us to be slaves in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. 
But Moses told the people, Don't be afraid. Stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? Tell the people to get moving. Pick up your staff and raise your hand over the sea. Divide the waters so the Israelites can walk through the middle of the sea on dry ground. Then the angel of the Lord God, who had been leading the people of Israel, moved to the rear of the camp. The pillar of cloud also moved from the front and stood behind them. The cloud settled between the Egyptians and the Israelites' camps. As darkness fell, the cloud turned to fire, lighting up the night. But the, Israel, or the Egyptians and the Israelites did not approach each other all night. Then Moses raised his hand over the sea, and the Lord opened up a path through the water with a strong east wind. The wind blew all that night turning the seabed into dry land. It didn't quite happen. The Bible was telling us here that it didn't quite happen the way we see it in the Prince of Egypt, where it was just like, and it happened. Apparently, it took all night, and it was an eastern wind. So that's just a a tidbit there. So the people of Israel walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground with walls on either side of them. Then the Egyptians, all the Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and charioteers chased them into the middle of the sea. But just before dawn, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian army from the pillar of fire and a cloud, and he threw their forces into total confusion. He twisted their chariot wheels, making their chariots difficult to drive. Let's get out of here, away from these Israelites, the Egyptians shouted. The Lord is fighting against Egypt. When all the Israelites had reached the other side, the Lord said to Moses, Raise your hand over the sea. Then the waters will rest back and cover the Egyptians and their chariots and charioteers. So as the sun began to rise, Moses raised his hand over the sea and the water rushed back into its usual place. The Egyptians tried to escape, but the Lord swept them into the sea. Then the waters returned and covered all the chariots and charioteers, the entire army of Pharaoh. Of all the Egyptians who had chased the Israelites into the sea, not a single one survived. But the people of Israel had walked through the middle of the sea on dry ground. As the water stood up like a wall on both sides, that is how the Lord rescued Israel from the hands of the Egyptians that day. And the Israelites saw the bodies of the Egyptians washed up on the seashore. When the people of Israel saw the mighty power that the Lord had unleashed against the Egyptians, they were filled with awe before Him. They put their faith in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. I think everybody in this room, besides seeing the Legoized version, has heard this story. It's amazing. Moses does amazing things through the power of our Lord. And he leads his people out of Israel, and they eventually end up in the promised land. What I want to do this morning, though, is I don't want to focus on Moses. Like we might normally do. Let's get a fresh perspective on this story. What I want to do this morning is I want to look at the Israelites. And so to do that, what I want to do is I want to have all the youth and, and the children come up to the front here, okay? And, and my helpers at the back. And I want all the youth and all the, all the children to come forward. And we're going to play a little game. 
All right. Not normally my key ring. Here we have a whole bunch of keys and we have one lock on that door. Sorry, Isaac. On that door. I'm going to give you uh, 45 seconds to get through that door with these keys. And I'll be on the other side. And uh, I, Oh, I think I, I brought something with me too uh, just to kind of help out. Uh, got some swords. Okay. So you guys come over here. Right here, we're going to start right here, and you guys are going to run away from me, and uh, you're going to try to get through that door with the keys, okay? It's kind of an unsturdy door, so uh, just use the keys. <laughs> don't go around. Don't cheat. And you guys think you can handle it? You think you can do it in 45 seconds? Sure. Do you think they can do it? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> they have little faith in you. Uh, can we have some mystery music? Go! check this. You cheated. That, this key doesn't unlock that door. Joel, you let them in. Well, you cheat. Well, why don't you come out here? Come, come back out front. I'm not going to make them do it again. Don't worry. But come on out front. Love the music, eh? Yeah. All right. So you're out here. Oh, man. I, uh, I, we might have to cut the donuts in half. I do have donuts for you. Uh, and, and you'll have to rip apart donuts. And, and they're jelly donuts, so you can release from the entrapment the jelly from the, the donuts. Okay? Uh, but what, before I give you that, because you cheated, I'm going to ask you a question. How did you guys feel? Well, Joel cheated for you. What, what, how did it feel with you know, the music going around, me coming towards you, and you just having so many keys to go through and not feeling like you were going to be able to get through the door. How did you feel? Oh, you, you, you knew the story of the Israelites and you put two and two together. Uh, how about... <laughs> leave it to bed. Uh, yes, how did it feel? It was scary, right? Now, now, what if the tides changed and I wasn't the lovable Pastor Mike that you know and love? Instead, I was really a sword-wheeling Egyptian who didn't want to hug it out. You know, he had a pointy spears and they wanted to kill you instead of just, you know, grab your arm or something like that. How would you feel, Brady? <laughs> You'd try to cheat. Yeah, okay. But it wouldn't work because that door wasn't going to open. It was solid. You go around. Okay. Okay, well, I have some donuts here. And maybe I can get Joel. Can you come to the back and kind of divvy out the donuts with them? And I will continue speaking as Joel hands out these 
jelly and Boston cream filled donuts at the back. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Give them a round of applause. All right. Well, they couldn't cheat. The Israelites couldn't cheat at all. They had a beach on one side of them and mountains on the other side of them, and they had the Egyptians running towards them. Have you ever been able to relate to the Egyptians and the Israelites? Sorry, the Israelites, not the Egyptians. To the entrapment that you felt in your life, not necessarily somebody coming towards you, with a sword, but in some other way felt just completely trapped in your situation, whatever that is. I have. And I'm going to share that with you in a bit. But let's take a step back and let's look at the Israelites' plight. Exodus 14 verse 10 says this, As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, and this is the NIV, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. The first time I read this passage, I, I kind of chuckled because it's like you didn't see an army coming towards you and then suddenly you did all of a sudden. Like it just, it struck me as being funny. But I don't think that's it at all. You see, they had just been victorious over these guys. Ten plagues. Didn't they learn their lesson? There's no way they're going to come towards us. Yet there they are. Now on again, one side you have this beach, which would be nice. I'd like to take a tan in it, in a different setting. But you have the beach on one side and you have this huge uh, body of water separating from where they need to go. And at the other side, they have very angry Egyptians. They were fearful. There was some mild heart attacks going on. It was not a good sight. Their first response, cry out to God, God, Yahweh, help us. You brought us here just to die, help us. That didn't work. Then they turn to Moses and they do what animals who are trapped do. Do you know what an animal does when it's trapped? Its first instinct is to lash out. That's exactly what the Israelites did. They pointed fingers at Moses. And, and this is what they said. They said, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? Huge sarcasm because Egypt is a desert. There's lots of places where there is no civilization where you could have put a dead body. Not to mention a couple pyramids that I'm sure are half empty. Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. And Moses, this could have been his response. He could have said, oh, you didn't just say that. Come on. Here I am, chilling out with my flock, actually Jethro's flock. We're hanging out. And I see this burning bush and God's telling me that you were crying out to him. I wasn't crying out for him for your salvation. Well, I might have been praying because I had been there. But you were crying out and God heard you and then I had to go. 
Because of your prayers, I had to get out of my comfort zone and go to Egypt and talk. I have a speech impediment, guys. But I had to talk to Pharaoh with the help of Aaron. It was you. You must have sinned on the way here. He could have pointed fingers. But Moses didn't do that. And I think it's because of his trust in God. You see, this is what Moses said. He said, do not be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. The Israelites had no idea why they were being trapped. It's funny enough in our lives how sometimes we feel trapped and we have no idea why this situation is happening. Here the Israelites are. They, they think they're free and clear, and yet they're not. Well, you know what? Exodus 14 verse 1 tells us why the Egyptians followed the Israelites. And it was because God wanted to show the Egyptians and the Israelites that he truly is the Lord. The Israelites didn't know that at the time. But God knew. God was in control the entire time. Egypt was a powerful nation. And he wanted to show them that he was the one true God. And you know what? If you look at Egypt's historical records, and I'm going to get my geek on for a second. If you look at the Egyptian historical records, there are two pharaohs uh, that could fit the bill on this exodus. One that I'm going to talk about is Pepi II. Yes, Pepi II. I would have, uh, you know, I'm pharaoh. I'd probably ask for a name change. But Pepi the second. Do you know what happened during this reign? Something happened and uh, his whole kingdom fell apart. The whole, uh, his whole dynasty as he knew it just fell apart. And it was the end of what they called the old kingdom in Egypt. Something else happened during Pepi the second, which I think is when Israel actually left Egypt. They became a monotheistic, or Pharaoh tried to make them a monotheistic culture, or a one religion culture. It didn't go so well for him, but he tried. I truly think that if we look at the Egyptian historical records, we can find proof to the existence of God and the Bible. It's amazing, isn't it, to see that actually happening back then, and to see a non-biblical source telling us this. Now, it didn't end well for him, and eventually, uh, you know, they pulled itself together and they had another dynasty that reigned. But at that point in time, I mean, they had lost all their crops. They had lost the, their firstborn son, half, uh, most of their army in the Red Sea. They were obliterated. But apparently then, the Pharaoh tried to have a monotheistic religion or a one one God religion, which I believe was Yahweh. Could be. I think that's the way it is. You guys can do some research and, uh, and, and look into that as well. 
But all the while, Israelites did not know this. They were scared. They were stressed. They were worried. Have you ever had that happen to you? Where you have something going on in your life and you know in the back of your mind that God is in control. And God is saying, you know what? You are worrying way too much. You are stressed out and you just need to give it to me. Because I have this perfect plan if you're following me, if you give me control. The Israelites would have had a lot less heart attacks. They would have had a lot less stress. Do not be afraid. Stand still and watch. But the thing I love most about the Old Testament is that it's full of imperfect fallen people, just like everybody here in this room. You see, I'm a firm believer that nobody in this room, no matter what the facade that they put on, has it all together. Can you agree with that? I know I don't have it all together. And actually, as I was preaching this message uh, to a wall, which I normally do at least once, it's nice and holy by now, (laughs) um, I was convicted. I got down on my knees. God spoke to me through this message. So I really hope God speaks to you through this message. But if it was just (laughs) that he spoke to me, that's worth it all just as much. There are times in our lives when we have felt helpless and trapped Do you know those times? Times in the past, not the present. Times in the past where you have felt helpless and God has seen it through. I hope there are times in that life, in your life, that that's happened. You know what? I think we can do something here. We can have a healing time by looking back on those times when God was faithful. God was real to us. He helped us out of that situation. We gave him control and he took over and he did an amazing thing. There's healing in that. So as I speak, think through that in your own life. The interesting thing about it is that God does that even when we don't know him. Even when we don't trust in him yet. I was a sad little kid. My mom and my dad were constantly fighting about custody issues. I was on the move once a week between households. I had two sets of friends, two people I had to be. One for my dad, who was a little bit controlling, and, and two, uh, another person for my mother. I felt like I was torn. I was trapped in that situation. I had absolutely no control over my surroundings. I didn't even have control of what I wore. But God had a plan. You see, I didn't have a relationship with God at that time. And my mom didn't have a relationship with God either. But through that situation, God was faithful. And I look back on it now, and I don't think I would have a relationship with God if it wasn't for that time in my life. You see, because of that, we needed some father figure uh, ness in my life and so we went to the Boy Scout program and the only one that was available was the Boy Scout program at Willingdon Church and through the, the godly father figures in that place God showed his love through people like Rick Pennington the head of the scouting at the time and through Howie Lee one of my, my cub leaders 
And through uh, Mark Jansen, who is still at Willingdon Church to this day, I was able to experience truly the love of Jesus through them. And I wanted what they had. And so I started my walk with God. And it was awesome. Did I know at the time when I was five years old and going through all that stuff that 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 would come of it? That God was in control entirely all the time? No. But God did an amazing thing. How about you? How about your past? What's going on in your life right now? Think about that as we draw to a conclusion in a bit here. On another story, uh, for those of you who don't know, Five years ago, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. She beat it, praise God. But at the time, I didn't know that she was going to beat it. I was in Edmonton. She was in Vancouver. What am I supposed to do? I'm, an on, I, I'm a product of an only child family and a single parent family. I should go home. But I was in a good place. I was in Devon, Alberta. I was working with youth I had a good relationship with the youth pastors. I was in the high school. The administrator loved me. The teachers loved me and the other youth pastors so much so that they wanted to hire me. I've never even heard of this before. They wanted to hire me as a counselor in the high school even though I didn't have a master's in counseling. Like, this is amazing stuff. I I could do God's work. And so I was trapped. I was torn. Ultimately, I knew that I had to leave, that I had to go home, and I had to take care of my mother and see her through this. And it was awesome, and she beat the cancer. You know what? There is still youth pastors in Devon doing God's work in the high school. God is so much bigger than your situation. God is in control. When I got home, I... Amazing things happened there. I learned more and more about finished carpentry. And it's serving me well as I'm a half-time general contractor and a half-time youth pastor right now. Well, those skills helped me as I was taking care of my mom and doing uh, construction work on the side. My beautiful bride, who was my girlfriend at the time, her program had finished and she was leaving Edmonton to come home to Vancouver. So I was able to continue a relationship with her not long distance, right there, and now we are very happily married. I didn't know that at the time. Well, actually, I might have known that you were moving back, but I didn't know that that would all work out the way that it did. See, God has a plan. Now, I'm not saying, now hear me, because I know some people are going, are you saying that God gave your mom cancer? No, I'm, I'm not saying that at all. What I am saying is that God is in control and He works through the situations of this world. God is not this guy who just wants to put crud in your life so that He can teach you a lesson. God is a loving God. He is our Father that far outweighs any earthly father. He is amazing and incredible and He loves you. What I do believe is in the chaos of this world, the chaos in your life, that you have a God that is so much bigger 
than anything you or I will ever face. I believe in one, the one true God, almighty in power, a God of peace, a God of comfort, a God of rest. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Right now, I want to do something different. I want, you, I want you to do something. Not for me, not for Pastor Brad or Pastor Keith or for your friends. I want you to set aside your plans for tonight. Set aside all the stress of your work week. I want you to put away the pride of saying how good this message would be for somebody else that I know. And I want you to personalize this message right now for you. I want you to take off the facade that you have to have everything together because you don't. And I want to ask you a question. So calm your mind. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. Actually do that. Close your eyes. How are you really doing? Are you here today and you are heavily burdened? Do you feel completely stranded, like there is no way out of your situation? Are you overwhelmed with life and you just can't see the light at the end of the tunnel? I'm going to list out some things. Maybe you're here today and you're in your job, but you just can't leave it because of financial pressures. Maybe you feel overwhelmed with family pressures. Maybe you're at a place where you don't know how you're going to pay your bills at the end of the month. Or maybe you're in a friend group that you probably shouldn't be in, or a relationship, but you don't know how to change that. Maybe you feel trapped between family members. Maybe you, like myself, were, are the product of a divorced family. And you feel trapped. Or maybe, more internal, you feel trapped because you don't like the person you're becoming and you don't know how to get out. What is it for you? Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. God is calling you right now. He is saying, trust in me. I will take that unneeded stress that is handcuffing you and I will give you the strength to get through this. He is saying, I love you and I am in control. Yahweh, the almighty creator of the universe, has a firm grasp on what's going on in your world. He loves you. He's your Savior. He loves every one of you. And He doesn't care about your past. He cares about you. He will open the door and show you the amazing plan He has for you. So I'm asking you today to take this time and to let go 
of control. To give God the steering wheel of your life in that situation that you're thinking through right now. To say, God, I can't do it. But you can. And so I give you the wheel. Do not be afraid. Stand still and watch. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The music team is going to play in a second. And I want to do something that's hard for a preacher to do because you never know what the response is going to be, but I'm going to do it anyway in faith. I know there are some hurting people here, and I'm one of them. I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward. What I want you to do is when you're ready, in an act of obedience, I want you to come to the front. I want you to kneel down and I want you to give your burden once and for all to God. So they're going to sing a song and I encourage you to just lay your burden before God.